I'm Lightspear, and you're listening to The Paradise Arcade. The Paradise Arcade contains graphic language. Listener discretion is advised. Listening to the Paradise Arcade with Kyle and Eric, promoting synthwave music and culture. Welcome to another episode of the Paradise Arcade. This week, we have a very special guest. Kyle. Very special. Do you want to introduce the guest this week? Our guest this week is none other than none other than Lightspear. Mike check. Mike check. Middle name Mike check. Thank you for having <laughs> me here. Thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate it. We're very excited about having you on the yes. show today. Happy yes. to be here. Yeah, I, I don't know that people that listen would. We invite people that we're genuinely interested in in hearing from and talking to. Uh, you know, we're not really the uh, size queens, if you will, of uh, of getting big names. We just we want to talk to the people we want to talk to, and we want to talk to you. Um, your name is Chris. I just want to so everyone knows that. We're going to refer to you as Chris, unless I gave away some secret. Did I give away a secret? We're not supposed no, to know that. No, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> as always, please follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, sort of. It's there. Uh, also, you can find the hub for all our stuff at theparadisearcade.com. Uh, do all those things. You can find us on Spotify and all that stuff. Pretty much anywhere, except for Amazon podcasts i have yet to commit to doing that anyways welcome chris to the show thank you um so you just had a uh, well not just it's been a what a month and a half yeah about a month yeah of uh your new album meteor and that came on electric dream records from uh, brian obviously on vinyl and let me tell you that vinyl is sexy I would have to say it's one of the best looking ones that I have. And, you know, many of the people who listen know that, like, I prefer black vinyl rather than the weird color variants. But the the color on this one is really cool because if you look at it straight on, it's clear. Mm-hmm. But if you tilt it just slightly, it has this amazing gold color to mm-hmm. it. It's perfect. Yeah, that's, you know, that's so great to hear because you're, always so excited and nervous how the end product is going to look like you see a sample of hey this is how it looks like but then you you have all the uh the grooves coming into the record it changes the whole package but uh, this is something that brian basically has carte blanche on uh i just show him the uh the cover art and he just comes up with hey i think this is gonna be a great pairing with the cover art and i just go with it i'm uh i totally trust his uh, decision on on it so it's, it's great to see and hear that it came out great nice it turned out perfect and i know i got a signed version so did, did you? i okay oh, we yeah. both got signed versions okay yeah oh, great well, I mean, you know, I, Brian does these really great, like, tiered releases where you can get different perks or different levels of, of stuff. 
and it was really not ex- more expensive to get the signed version. He's not was, like you would be a fool to not get it when it was available. Right. It was like two dollars more than the regular version. So thank you for signing. Yeah, no kidding. The card on our records, we really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. And I can test. It was me. I I did the signatures. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was not a Nigerian prince. Cool. Nope. It's genuine. It's it was done by me by my hand. Awesome. Uh, so I guess I don't know. Do we want to go into Meteor? Or do we want to start? with the the journey that is Lightspear. Yeah, let's let's start at the beginning. Yeah. So if if you wouldn't mind, tell us how you got your start. So you know, I'm I'm pretty old, so I I'm make making electronic music for quite a long time, but Lightspear as a project is pretty new. Um I I didn't compose, I didn't produce um for more than than 10 years. Uh, before Lightspear. Uh, I did music before that, and uh, for 10 years, I was basically just goofing around in, in my studio, and uh, and nothing came out of it. And, um, you know, discovering um, Synthwave, that was such a strange feeling for me that, hey, 80s is back. The sound that I really love is is back. And maybe... You know, I don't know how you feel about it. It gave a boost to electronic music a lot. Uh, I feel I exactly it, the same. Yes. Right. So, so it, it, I felt that electronic music is stalling a bit, uh, uh, and it's not going anywhere. Uh, but somehow, you know, uh, tying back to the eighties, uh, it's sort of a revival. Not only synthwave, actually every type of electronic music somehow the interest is is there so um it definitely drove me to okay let's start to really do something and and try if we can pull something together and i just started composing some some very like basic synthwave tunes and uh it came out pretty good and not, not many people know this, but the first album, Metro, was composed and finalized on hardware synthesizers. That it is was cool. recorded on hardware synthesizers, but then I, w- I wasn't happy with the sound. Um, if you leave production, serious production behind for 10 years, you just need to go back to, to train yourself and... and uh, get back to your sound. And I wasn't happy with the sound. So I went and redid the whole album um, in the box with plugins because I felt more comfortable with the end result of that. So what you hear on the record is the second version uh, of, of the album where I was happy with the sound. So it was... You know, a journey of, of rebuilding uh, myself from zero music to something and then something to a real record where I was comfortable with the sound wave. So what was the, I mean, the the difference between using plugins, VSTs versus the hardware? was What was the, the conflict? What were you not happy with? 
I'm totally a hardware synth guy. So it was weird, like redoing something when you're surrounded with real synths. Not that the, the sound is better or you can make better music with it. It, it was just, I would say, a sound engineering approach or, or gap that I missed. And um, I thought that there's more work that needs to be done to get to the sound what I want with hardware. And it will take more work to build myself up to there. And actually, the, you, you mentioned the journey. I think that's spot on. Um, the first album is basically, can I do synthwave the way I want? Can I pull together an album? The second album, Meteor, is can I take that further, but still working in the box? And what I'm currently working on is really going back to the roots and um, recording hardware since and doing a real 80s album with vintage synths with that, that sound I originally wanted. But I needed to have these two steps before so I'm confident enough that I can pull it up. Well, actually, I'm, not, I'm still not sure that I can pull it up. <laughs> That's fair. Working I think hard you can pull it. it off. Yeah, working hard on it. But, you know, when you start with zero, like no sound, zero dB, right? You, it's, it's, it's a big gamble and, and a constant learning and, and a knowledge that needs to come back to, to, to rebuild yourself. As, as a producer. So let, let me ask you this. So what was the the attachment to the 80s? You said you're older. I'm not going to ask you for your age. I'm not that kind of dude. But um, was it the synth wave was, was exciting? Or do you have like a tie like a lot of the people in the scene where 80s music is just part of your, either your growing up or, you know, like, just part of what you like? Well, what was the the why synthwave, basically? I grew up in the 80s. I was a kid in the 80s. A lot of things happened uh, yeah. uh, in the 80s. And that music, and I'm interested in all type of music. Uh, primarily, it's electronic music, obviously, but I'm interested in every type of music it just needs to be good and beautiful and listening to to everything that's being produced or a lot of things that's being that's being produced uh since the 80s 70s 80s um that sound for me is just superior somehow the approach how organic it is how it was recorded it's just superior. Um, th this this is the sound that brings joy to my ears, and you know, I, I know that's just me, but this it's is not just I you. <laughs> I guess, right? So somehow that what was achieved in the studios in the eighties had it's very very difficult to top. And currently, it's it's not done. 
which is, you know, uh, a pity because I would love to li listen to fantastic new recordings. And I'm still like, like trying to get my, my ears out. And I have a very uh, high radar on, on new things, but I, I just don't feel that we achieved that studio superiority that we had in the 80s. Yeah, I would say that um, if you're listening to electronic music, if that's your preferred thing, unless you're like Daft Punk or David Guer Guerda or some of those other people, they're not, you're doing it in your bedroom or your homemade studio. You're not having access to, you know, the, the good equipment and the engineers and the all that kind of stuff. So... It's a valid point. I I wonder, you know, is it going to stay in the underground as it is, or is it, you know, do you, does anyone see a resurgence into like the mainstream? I think there is. The Weekend's last album was basically a synthwave album with singing on it. Yeah, and um, there there's so so much when you think about the whole process of making music, uh, but currently how music is delivered uh it doesn't support the need for great engineering you're gonna listen to it anyway on streaming yeah 256 uh kbps that's nothing nothing comes true right no. you can listen to spotify all day long you just don't hear the music Chris, I just want to tell you right now that Kyle is so happy with what you're talking about. <laughs> like, seriously. Well, yeah, I don't like any of that. I'm, I'm very against it. So, but it's neat. Yeah. And it's, it means, what does it mean? It means that great engineering is going to stay niche for people who uh, are really, you know, invest in great audio equipment listen to people who are investing their ears to listen to learn uh instead of just you know consuming some music in the background and that's you know totally fine like if people enjoy it through spotify like have it a go but uh myself i'm searching for something else i'm looking for something else and that is why i try to push myself to uh um to elevate the sound that I have, where I started with, and um, where I want to go. So let me ask you this then. Since streaming, it seems like, is not necessarily your cup of tea, uh, do you prefer physical media then? Or do you collect records or tapes or any of that, those kinds of things? Oh, man, don't tell my wife. It's like <laughs> a multi-format journey. Uh, and you you mentioned Daft Punk. Uh, I'm obsessed, obsessed with random access memories. Obsessed. It's, you know, I want to know everything about how that album was created. Um, I went down to what equipment they use specifically. Um, I try to replicate as much as I can uh, in my studio. Obviously, I can't replicate Mick Gzalski and team, but... Uh, at least the emulations. Uh, I, I'm trying to replicate the same thing. Uh, I have that album on CD, on high res, two formats of high res. 
I have it on uh, vinyl, obviously. I try to compare how reverb sounds on one and how vocal sounds on the other. I'm, uh, I'm totally obsessed. Just because they were obsessed uh, pulling together that album. They tested it like day and night. Uh, how this recording works best on tape from tape directly to digital to diff through different preamps they were obsessed by the sound so why not be obsessed by listening to it <laughs> wow i literally had no idea that's I mean, and this is something that i can really appreciate right here yeah are you gonna go home? do you have that album there kyle i, I don't I'm sure you can find it. I think at least with Daft Punk, you could probably find their stuff on vinyl still. Right. And it's like, I'm at this weird position right now where it's like, I only focus on the releases that I know come out that are very limited. Mm -hmm. That I have to get when they come out. Yeah. Like Metro, like yeah. Meteor. Like if I don't get those now when they come out, I'm probably not going to get them later because they're gone. There's there's no access to it. Chris, do you, do you have to explain this to your wife? Like, I have to buy these things because if I don't buy these things, I don't ever get these things. Well, you, you know, there's this story, and you know, I'm <laughs> I'm so thankful to her. She, you know, we we've known each other forever. She knows me. She knows how I am. And there was this reproduction of uh, the ARP 2600 coming out. It's, you know, it's a price of a used car. <laughs> like, I've never, I've never bought anything like that. Uh, never. And I was telling about her. I have this magazine form from 97 or so. It's a French magazine with all the greatest synths. You have, obviously, the Mini Moog. You have the Prophet 5. But it starts with the ARP 2600. And Korg reproduced it. Uh, very small batch. Uh, apparently, it's like 400, 500 of them. And, and people were, were still getting, getting one. And I remember we were sitting there uh, at the dinner table with our mor morning coffee when the, uh, the instrument just came out and it just went live. You could pre-order one. And I was like, damn, it's so expensive. It's, it's, there, there's nothing that, um, you know, th th this is not something that you should buy. Definitely not. <laughs> and, or should you yeah, exactly and she was like dude press the order button you're gonna complain for me through you know <laughs> the rest of our life just press the damn button and um yeah so <laughs> we went ahead so you know she accepted it um uh, she knows that this is something that i do and um um you know beyond any reasonable uh, budgeting, we went and and bought stuff. So I, I hear that. <laughs> Sometimes there's things that speak to you and they're unreasonable, and you're like, I have to do it at all well, costs. Yeah. I think the and only other person. I, yeah. 
was just gonna say I think the only other person I know who got one might have been Wave Shaper, I think got one. He got one. Yeah, yeah. He he has a real vintage one and he got another. So <laughs> I'm still one down compared to him. But you know, I'm I'm so happy to get Well, you get don't have to do these. any upkeep on the new one. Oh yeah. That's true. <laughs> um so what were some of the things for you growing up that influenced you? Because I think you know, it's very clear that you have preferences for hardware and, and how they sound. Were there things that growing up um, that really spoke to you that you bring forward? Yeah, if I think about how it started, uh, and it's weird, I always think back to when listening to Radio Gaga from Queen and there's a Moog bass line in it. I, you know, I respect Queen. I don't particularly uh, listen to, to that much. Uh, the music is great, but it's not something that's, that's me. But that song, you, you have a Moog bass line, super simple. And I, I still remember listening to it for the first time saying, what the hell is this? What the heck? You know, you obviously know guitars, drums, vocals, bass. You, you, you know that. But how did they do that? And uh, then I discovered uh, Jean-Michel Jarre. Um, he's, um, you know, one, one of the godfather of electronic music. Um, it's very, the melodies uh, he composes are wonderful. So combining, you know, the synth sound that I, I somehow like and with melodies, that, that was news to, to me. And I, you know, fell in love. And from, from that, it was um, just one step, started to create something uh, on my own with synthesizers. You, you bring up something to me that, like, it, it instantly struck, like, a memory to me about my love for electronic music and i think there's a i i don't have the definitive moment i'm very jealous of you that you can like pinpoint the exact thing like this bass line from this song is what did it for me but there was definitely a moment for me i'm not sure if it was a movie or if it was music when i heard a a synthetic you know like a synthesizer in music and it was like this is it this is the thing you know you have drums you've got guitar you've got you know traditional instruments but then hearing the synthesizer it's so different it conveys something so unique like it really cut to me like that was it, it was like this is the thing this is this is what i want this is what i like you know it's so great to hear uh you know different sounds talk differently to to people and um you know your ear is such an important part um, uh, of you and how music translates, how sounds translate. This is just a selection process of what do I like, what, uh, uh, what really brings me joy and what, um, what is beauty uh, in terms of sound to me. 
It's like, I don't know if I could pinpoint the exact moment either. Cause it's like, I like things like Pet Shop Boys and, you know, Depeche Mode and New Order and all that. But I, I think maybe if I had to think what was the defining moment for me might have been Technotronic. When I first heard like pump up the jam, I was just like, <laughs> this is the fucking sound for me. Like this type of thing. That is, this is what speaks to me. This is the one thing that's like, this will define me for the next 30 years you know, or so. And that makes sense a little bit. Um, if you think about like Euro dance back in the early 90s, it was fairly simple. Not not always, but, you know, Ace of Base and all those those folks um, and kind of how they were limited. Like it was very easy. I'm not going to say it's easy to make, but they were limited in what they could do with what with, with the music they were making. And it was dance music and it very different. I mean, do you remember when Ace of Base came out here in the States? Like people fucking lost their minds. Yeah, lots of jeans were creamed <laughs> at that point. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and I remember because my my older sister she um, uh, was huge into Ace of Base, and we had to listen to that first record like over and over and over and over. <laughs> I liked it for like the first go around, but then it was like we need to stop. Um, so yeah, I mean it, it it's interesting. Again, the the sound you hear and the age that you hear it really make a huge difference, and um, and what that does. And I think that you know harkening back to um you know why we're here what we're doing with synthwave and in recapturing i think a bit of that like magic of like music was like this life-altering thing you know what i mean like when you like do either one of you remember hearing music for the first time that was like your own like besides your parents like my parents always listened to a lot of music and we always listened to whatever they wanted but I remember like discovering music that was my own for the first time and how important that was. And like, yeah, this is my own thing. This is not my parents thing anymore. This is my thing. And I think again, I could contribute that like maybe that would be something like the technotronic thing. When I first heard that, I was like, this is for me. Or it was like West coast gangster rap, <laughs> which is a weird I, a weird thing I know, but still, it's just like here's two things that I'm hearing for the first time, and this is really speaking to me. Oh, it had no, it had one of them had no business speaking to me, but it's just like I really feel and like, and like this this touches some spot on me, not my wiener, but <laughs> it, it it affected me somehow, and I really liked it, and I was like, this is yeah, this is it, this is what I like, this is for me. Chris, what's yours? But, but you know, uh, I tend to go back and listen, and you know, sometimes buy the high res, res uh, high res version of of eighties uh, pop popular music because um, the engineering on those. Yeah, you know it can be like Ace of Base, but damn, the engineering of those yeah. were great. I agree with you. I think as an adult, going back and really listening to that stuff, you have a completely different appreciation. Because like when I was a kid, I didn't, you know, who? I mean, I didn't know. 
Well, yeah, but you, going you, back, you just consume. Yeah, you just consume. But going back now, and I'm like, this is it. This is the thing. Well, yeah, I have to say right now, like going back, Holland Oats right now. Holy shit, Holland <laughs> Oats is fucking amazing. I love that shit. Yeah, and speaking of the engineering that goes behind it, like, oof, it's so good. It's so good. And I think what I like about it, and at least for me, it, I could go back and it's just there's so much to discover. There's so much to appreciate. There's so much to really take in being where I am at in my life now as opposed to just hearing it and being a kid and being like Hall & Oates or David Bowie or whatever. It's just it's there. But going, yeah. holy shit, what goes into it is there's a reason why I think this music is timeless. Like you hear Let's Dance because I watched a breakdown of the engineering for Let's Dance and was just completely blown away about like what went into making that song. Oh, damn. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize that Stevie Ray Vaughan played guitar in that. I didn't realize <laughs> that Stevie Ray Vaughan got his start playing as a guitarist for David Bowie. My mind has just been blown right now. Yeah. So, in the early 80s, Stevie Ray Vaughan was hired as a as a a guy to work for David Bowie and and they did a isolated track like a studio guitarist studio or something studio and and concert guitarist and he added guitar lines in Let's Dance and in the context of the song you never hear it but if you took them away the song sounds completely different it just mm-hmm. doesn't sound right without his his particular contribution. So it's like weird shit like that. You had no idea that Stevie Ray Vaughan got to start playing for David Bowie. No, that's weird. That's like knowing that Kerry King played guitar on Beastie Boys shit. It's like, <laughs> what? What is this? And, you know, it can be like a super simple guitar lick, but, and listening to it is like, oh, it's, it's that simple. Yeah, mm-hmm. but in that situation, in that song, on that specific place, th- this is the genius that comes out uh, of these musicians. Yeah, I think the 80s, would you agree, Chris, and you're probably going to agree with me, I'm going to make this assumption, that the craft of musicianship, the craft of engineering, was at a tight. Like, that was the time when people really got into um, how things were produced, how they were engineered um, in the entire package of the musical production. I would say yes, but let's add the seventies to it. True. In terms of, it was different, right? But in terms of craftsmanship and the, the sound was definitely different, but what was, added to it one of my favorite records comes comes from the uh, uh 70s uh never never ever listened to fleetwood mac but rumors in terms of engineering damn that's gold standard and uh totally different sound but but yeah to my years um is is the 80s sound that's that's that really represents the top um most of my go-to albums uh that i i still listen like 
I'm listening to them for decades now. Most of them are from the 80s. Yeah, and that make I mean that makes total sense to me because they they also engineered specifically for vinyl because that was for the most part the dominant format. Even I mean tapes were tapes and CDs were starting to come into play, um, but I think vinyl was still the thing that people had in mind when they made or mastered recorded music. That and I'll just say more interesting things came out in the eighties. Absolutely, it was really a. It sounds lame to say it, but it's like, it was a time of discovery. There was many different things going on and many different experiments with sounds. But it's true. Yeah. It is true. Absolutely true. You know, digital technology appeared in the 80s. Uh, Without digital delay, like most of the music and most of the um recordings we know wouldn't exist um digital recording came in digital effects it was the the switch from analog synths to digital synths bringing in new sounds new sound palettes super interesting era i have a theory and and here's i was actually having to think a good thing about this on a lunch break um about 80s music and kind of like why it sticks out so much to me and why it sounds timeless. I think 80s music is the first decade of what I would consider modern music using modern um, production techniques while still having the same discipline from the 70s, right? Because you had prog rock, you had all like the studio folks that were obsessed with it, but they were able to play with new technology new sounds you had people experimenting with all sorts of different cultural things you know like peter gabriel i was listening to him the other day and just like um how broad that sound is and and so we could listen to modern music today and find something that has its roots in the 80s song structure tonality uh instruments editing those all those things have the roots i think in the 80s because no one who records on tape it does cuts tape these days fun fact george michael's faith was the first album recorded completely digitally wow did you know that he wrote and performed everything on that album he produced everything Mm -hmm. genius it's a great album too that's a great album that's a fantastic and it's such a with such a broad palette i didn't know he was the basically sole producer of that album fantastic yeah he basically wrote everything for wham too he he did every he did it all it was amazing love him sad it's so sad that he's dead yes fantastic voice and uh it turns out great production skills it's like hearing that Kanye West produces all his own stuff. For those, the modern equivalent. I'm not saying like, I'm not endorsing or saying that I like, but <laughs> I, I like hear you're pe- saying he's not as good and he's not as good. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying he's not as good. But to, to some people that are listening, they really don't understand the gravity of, of, of that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. P- people are blown away apparently that Kanye West 
produces and and is a studio freak and it, it would be equivalent yeah for people it's to understand like the amount of work that george michael undertook to release faith is incredible he did it he did everything himself mm-hmm. it was all of him hmm. it was all him I love George Michael. <laughs> <laughs> you miss George Michael. I miss George Michael. I just Everybody wonder what does. happened. You know, like what happened with the later, like the album after faith, I still like, but like in the two thousands, I was like, what's, what's happening with some of the stuff that's going on. Maybe it was like, like a justice thing where their first album was so good that you couldn't compare to it later. Like, there is no way to duplicate the success of it. Nothing compares to you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that harkens back to a, pre, uh, a pre-recorded conversation about Prince a little bit. It was good. It was real good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, tying it all back. <laughs> and, Chris, you brought that up, just so you know. You were the one that brought that really great morsel of di- of. Yes, you were talking about Prince first, so it was all yeah. you know, giving you credit. Giving I can't you credit. help myself. And you know, Prince is very important. He has its own effect on my third album that I'm working on. Ooh. The the reverb he used, the EMT um, 250, will be largely used just because of I I just love that sound. That's the '80s reverb. Um, so um, I, this is the sound that I try to recreate, and you know, you you need to go with that if you want. Are you saying um, you're doing a Minneapolis funk album next? No. <laughs> <laughs> so just so you yeah, know, I Eric and yeah. I are 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 from the area that Prince is from. So like locally, <laughs> Prince is very important. To everyone here, yeah, and we take high pride in knowing that you know Prince is our most famous person from where. Well, we come and you from. know, sadly enough, uh, there was a Prince concert in Hungary, and I missed it. Uh, and now I I will never see Prince live. Uh, it was the only moment I could I could go. I just missed that concert, and you know, super super sad. I know exactly what you mean. Uh, being a huge Beastie Boys fan myself, I missed. They only ever played two shows here that I could have gone to, and I missed them both. And I know that pain because I will never ever see a Beastie Boys show live. Never. No, done. It's done. Yeah, and you, you know, that that's an interesting thought there. Um, in the 80s, because just because so much things happened, and there was some spillover to, uh, to the 90s, we just took it for granted that, oh yeah, um, we have Michael Jackson album, and we're going to have the next and the next two at the same level. You know, uh, Genesis albums and Phil Collins and and uh, uh, Peter Gabriel, um, you, David Bowie. Like you have all all these musicians 
coming out in the 80s, you, you take it for granted that, oh, oh yeah. this, is, this is how it's going to be forever. But it's not. It's, it's a one unique moment in time when you get to so much talent uh, all up from, from composing music to uh, producing music to releasing to have the right format. Uh, at your fingertips so yeah we, we took it for granted but oh definitely for sure you know you think about so one of the i would say like a big distinguisher and i'm and i'm sure uh we just know about it maybe a little bit more now but you look at like modern albums there could be hundreds of people in the writing credits of a song or an album i should say that's probably more realistic like you've got 25 to 30 people to have a writing credit on one modern pop song and you know 80s in the 50s and 60s especially there might be just one like the wrecking crew from the 50s i think they it was like a a band that did most of they were session musicians for most of the big pop um people back in the day and then you know like you've got jimmy jam and terry Lu- lewis terry lewis they were a duo but it wasn't a huge amount of, of people writing and producing a lot of this music in the 80s. It was one person or two people. Oh, yeah, like going back to George Michael. Here's one person. Right. And I know like Michael Jackson's Thriller, like that particular album, everyone on it was A-list genius contributing to it. I was watching a isolated drum track for the drummer. His name is like Lightfoot or something foot sugarfoot yeah that's his name sugarfoot and like his almost mechanical precision for timing for drums is insane because you think like on thriller like that's a drum machine but that's not a drum machine that's a dude playing drums live and you don't really have that same kind of talent at least i don't think now you've got one person who's credited for a drum sound you're like we're gonna hire this guy we're gonna pay them to do this one particular sound because they use this particular kind of reverb and they were going to fix it in pro tools yeah yep and they got a writing team you know thriller uh well we could talk about that album for (laughs) days like how it was produced and how the sound actually it's um uh, there are a couple of um uh sound uh, sounds or or songs parts of the song uh as reference in my ab setup uh, that I obviously can't, but try to reproduce to be close. Um, and the, the way that album was produced and, and done, that, yeah, that's one, one of the gold reference albums we, uh, uh, we have. I don't know whether such, such a masterpiece is going to be produced again. No, and just think that, um, you know, once Quincy Jones is gone, that's gone. That's done. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We recently lost uh, Bruce Sweden, who was the engineer. Um, um, we lost Mike Jackson. And, you know, all the A-listers uh, that were working on it, um, there's this particular sound uh, on Thriller a growl type of sound. I, I've been trying to, you know, um, 
pinpoint to a guy who is able to reproduce that. Uh, and there are a couple of tries on, on YouTube and, and on forums, but it's nowhere near. Uh, so, yeah, like all up, um, cover to cover, uh, uh, that work is absolutely masterful. And again, uh, that's also an album I have in multiple formats. <laughs> Like multiple high-res formats. I was so happy that it came out on DSD format because the sounds is a bit different. And I started to like hear new stuff on it. There's there's so many things happening with, with trailer. Uh, abs- a, a masterpiece. We probably won't get another album like that ever again. No. It's that's done. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, back to Daft Punk's uh, Ram, uh, this is what they tried to do to to go back to producing music at the highest level, recording music, mixing music at the highest level. Like nothing was spared. Like they tried everything, tested out everything. Uh, uh, but in, ter- in terms of musicality, well, I wouldn't say that's, you know, the, the best um, uh, uh, work I've ever heard, but in terms of engineering, it's great. In, with Thriller, everything like really came together. Like all the notes, all the sounds are where they need to be. And so it sounds like you know, for you, like you have such a uh, appreciation and love for the process, for the craft, the studio craft. Really, I think is is probably the best term for it. Um, and so I, I'm assuming that you try to pay as much homage to those kinds of things in your own music then. Oh, yeah. And maybe that was one of the reason I went back to like redo the whole thing in the box with Metro because I wanted to reach that level of, of quality I, I've heard in my head. Uh, obviously, I have my own limitations, plus it's not my, my day job, but uh, uh, th- there is a great care uh, in the process, definitely. And um, uh, obviously, uh, right after that album, there's temptation to go back to hardware since, but uh, I, I needed to sort of a step back and think about okay can we do this are we at the level just yet and now so we stay in the box we expand our knowledge there and and now i feel like i might do something that's that's really what i originally wanted to do and hopefully it's gonna um it's gonna work out is there any way i'm just morbidly curious are you are you ever going to release that that first rough cut if you will of of metro or is it is that kind of like that's your secret thing you're taking it to with you to the grave well i don't think i i'm going to release it unless i i I will become super well known and i can make a couple of millions of that but uh <laughs> you know it's it's not out there for a reason it's not, just not good enough um mm-hmm. uh, for uh for both both for metro and meteor uh i produced um 
10 songs and and two just didn't make the cut um it's it's really about okay what's what's the thing that you really like to share and it was not at, at that level so so why bother why why you know why waste people's time uh, uh with that thing that's that is not at the level i'd like to be that's fair that's tough is it one of those things where you really loved those songs but it just didn't fit or it wasn't at the level that you were looking for like what was the determining factor to cut two songs well i i i didn't like them um <laughs> you know, it's, well, that's easy it's it, it it's not you know it's not linear like I, i'm gonna sit down and, and and produce a great song obviously that's the goal but uh it it, it's, it doesn't work always uh, and you know it's super easy to to fill out um, uh, your album with, especially in electronic music, you can do a lot of lot of uh, things real quick. You can let, have like uh, twelve songs, but it's hard to pull together uh, uh, eight songs, let alone twelve. So um, uh, also you lose you lose your momentum after some point. Uh, it, my, in my experience, how I work, if I can't wrap up the uh, composing part of the work in about uh, four or five months, uh, then everything that comes after, I just lose momentum. I'm, I'm super tired. Uh, I'm not inspired. So I need to wrap up. If I can't, well... Um, uh, well, well, that's that, and I wasn't able to produce the, the, the full album, so it's not a rush. But um, um, sometimes you you just need to go back and think like, does it make sense to uh, to publish this? And if it doesn't, it, it's you're just not doing it. Uh, you want to keep um, the album's solidity uh, uh, and and not try to to have fillers. Fillers are really bad for albums. Thank uh, you. Agreed. Right? So let me ask you this. Do you ever revisit things that you've lost momentum on? I don't think so. That's Here's an question. interesting. Here's an interesting story. A little, a little story for both of you. Uh, I recently read that the, the recent number one song, WAP, <laughs> from Cardi B. Wet ass pussy. Wet ass pussy. So <laughs> she had started writing that song like two, three years ago, had a couple verses, set it aside. And during in when COVID happened, they were working on new material and they were revisiting various things and that came up. And then they finished that song like two, three years later after it was started. So it's, you know, that's where I kind of tie into like, yeah, you can lose momentum. And I definitely can get how me being a layman making electronic music and, and sucking at it. Like I get how you lose steam, um, with a, with a thought, a creative, either like an emotion or thought or, or train of thought, it just kind of dissipates and you got to like, okay, I'm done with this. I got to put it aside because there's, it's not going anywhere. Well, maybe two, three, three, three. Two, three years later, 
it could work on it. You know, interesting thing. I've been watching the Selena series on Netflix. <laughs> yes. And one of the guys in it, like the character AB, was like, I have had this idea of this song in my head for years, and I've never been able to like execute it, never been able to like complete it until a certain point. So maybe there is that. So maybe, you know, years later, you can go back, you can revisit something, and then finish it and make it what you want to be. I don't you know. know. What's, what's currently, that's a challenge uh, that is I'm working with analog stuff, and, and some of them, they don't have memory. It's just not like you save the preset. You, until you finish that song, it needs to stay there, untouched. So um, I can I, definitely see there is the challenge in that. If you are using real original hardware, it's yeah, it's not that simple. You need to keep it like th- th- don't touch, right? Uh, I'm composing stuff, and it takes about yeah a month. Also, you know the song when you're producing it. For me, it's always good to let it mature a bit, so you can just go back to to your studio or your place where you're doing music, and listen to it after a week, uh, and you leave the song being okay. This is uh, something that I'm satisfied with, and then you go back after a week and. You're like, oh, ju- just erase this from the world. Like, it's not working. Or you're going to be like, hey, it's great, but the ba- somehow the baseline now, it's not working. I need to work on that. Or the song structure is not working. So it's always good to, to leave it a bit. And uh, actually, we, we will have um, Dream Electric 3 coming out. And Brian was kind enough to invite me to to write uh, an original song for for that, uh, and it's called Redhead uh, from from the Ferrari Testarossa. And yes. uh, I I was pretty okay with how the song uh, turned out, and um, you know one. Um, one of my listening sessions, I was like, "Oh, there's a lot of changes we need to uh, we need to have that song." So there was this transformation of that song. So you're listening to basically the uh, one V one point five of that song um, uh, on the album, but hopefully it turned out great. I look forward to that. I've gotten my shipping notification for Dream Electric Three. Me too. Good, so good. I'm not. I'm not insane. That was a pre-order because, like, I've like I've gone through a move recently and I've got quite a few records and I'm like, did I get that record? Am I missing it? Um, because I swear I ordered it because I know that Laserhawk was a pre-order, yes. but I didn't think yeah. Dream Electric Three was a pre-order, so I was wrong. Yeah, as well. cool. Yeah. Uh, kind of, but like, it's we will have it soon. Oh my god, I'm so excited and I can't wait. Fuck yes. So. I, I really have to know because I'm a person who's always interested in this kind of thing, especially for the guests that we have on that use actual real hardware to make their sounds. 
what kind of gear do you use? What do you have to make your sound? So for um, Metro, is it's mostly the cheaper end of uh, of plugins. I use, for example, a synth called Hybrid, which is I think was fourteen bucks or something. But somehow the sound was like, okay, this is what uh, what I need. Uh, I also use Diva, which is a more expensive uh, VSC with a fantastic sound. Um, in terms of um, effects, um, I was heavily relying on wave stuff, age reverb, age delay, uh, pretty uh, pretty good sound there. Um, but I definitely tried out different different plugins to to see what works well together for meteor um i went with um high rent stuff so continuing on the diva um line also used a serum which is super popular uh but still having the same uh same eqs um uh used a, a lot of wave stuff there to keep that um the their each series has this really gritty analog sound, which is pretty, pretty decent. And uh, and now it's like a totally different spin uh, with the hardware machinery. Uh, I have them around me. Uh, I'm using Matrix Thousand Classic 80s synth. I'm using an MKS for that Juno sound. Uh, I'm using the uh, R2600. Uh, and the Moog Voyager, uh, and I just recently acquired a Prophet 5, uh, a classic 80s brass sound, uh, but I, I used a Prophet 6 before before that. So um, I, these are like pretty, pretty intense in, in terms of budget, but um, they really just bring out that sound. Like without without any any fluff around them, uh, I tend to uh, compose music without much effects. Uh, it's really more like having the right synth sound and everything that comes after uh, all the effect chain. It's really um, when I'm just mixing down. Thank you for that. That was quite informative, and I think people really get into that. I mean, and I think other musicians really get into like, what do you do? It's so amazing. Um, and I've had conversations with other people about like how you can look at gear and different people can look at something and create something completely different out of the same gear and make it do things that you just would never imagine uh, are possible just because a different person is using the same thing. So I like the versatility. Um, so people really get into that. So that's really cool. Um, is there I, i'm i'm curious you're working on the third album now does is each album thematic do you would you say um is there an emotion or an idea or a maybe like a faux story that you've imbued into the process or is it just kind of stuff it just is what it is i'm curious oh yeah yeah um yeah, good point. Uh, because there is uh, for for Metro, it was um, more like cityscapes, and uh, I, I try to imagine 
cities in my head. For Meteor, it's it's very much space. Um, and actually, it's now that you mention it, um, in terms of mixing Meteor, the sound is a bit further away from you. There's a lot of reverb uh, on it, unhealthy amount of reverb on it. And um, it's this one's very intentional. Um, I just wanted this, the sound a bit out there. And maybe this theme helped me a lot to achieve that sound when I wanted. And um, the third album, I have a theme, uh, but I hope it's going to work out. Uh, let's talk about it in a year or so. <laughs> okay. I'm definitely going to check in with you once it's released. I mean, cool. if you're if you're kind to give me a pre-dib, I'm all about that. But uh, <laughs> I'm I'm very curious to check in and and see how it turned out, like versus expectation or or intention versus what it ends up being. Because I think the creative process, and I don't know about you, um, you could start out with one thing, and then it changes and and evolves, and and you, there's always always surprises along the way. Uh, I think in in musical journeys when you're creating any creative process, really. Um, do you embrace those creative changes or or do you like keep them and, and then store them away and, and keep the, the main thing thematically? Like, how does that work for you? Oh, um, yeah, interesting. Um, especially with electronic music and synthesizers, it's so easy to get carried away. Right. You start with the bass line and you end up with a lead sound or a string sound or <laughs> yeah. whatever. Just, you know, touching sliders and, and just going with the sound. Um, for for Metro, I want it to be like very intentional. Uh, and maybe you can hear it on that album. It, it's a bit more um, reserved in terms of structure and in terms of sound. Uh, I just wanted to get it out there. So to 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 see if. I can still like produce an album end to end. With Meteor, it was um, it was a bit more um, or less intentional. Uh, uh, I had more freedom. Uh, I allowed more freedom to myself to discover a bit. Um, and on the third album, it's oh, it's crazy. That is why the process is it's pretty long uh, because it's uh, it's pretty open at this point. That's interesting. And so you've, I, I would, would you say that even how you approach music is changing itself as you've progressed along and you're doing this thing? Yeah, maybe it has to do with confidence, uh, uh, getting more and more confident. Like, hey, yeah, you can finish it, you can do it, you can wrap up a full album. And, uh, um, you know, people won't throw stones at you when when they bought your vinyl. Uh, so that's good. You're you're a bit more relieved and, and you have more freedom to do so. Um, one of the things that I'm I'm curious to know is, you know, you you've made music of the past, and you took a break. How? What was the scene that you were in prior to the synthwave scene? Were you in like a techno scene? Uh, rave scene uh, what was the thing that you were doing before and uh, what i'm getting at is you know what is your general feeling 
um, that scene versus where you're at now? Oh, it's totally different. Um, I was previously more electronica and trance and doing live acts, super popular, uh, 90s, um, start of, uh, of the millennium. Uh, and then I, I just wanted to calm down a bit so we and sort of function in a band. Uh, so we we tried our luck with trip hop and uh, we definitely enjoy uh, 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 doing that. Uh, so like somewhat close, but but still a bit different, uh, a bit less uh, clean 80s electronic sound. Um, that was more like 90s type of, of uh, sound where we were looking for. Interesting. Um, and what about the, the, the community? I'm always, what I'm curious about, and I, I like to ask everybody that I can, is their experience within the synthwave scene. What has been your overall um, reaction? I mean, are, are people really involved uh, with interacting with you and reaching out to you? Um, what's been your experience that way? Well, I had a, uh, a pretty pleasant experience so far. People are reaching out, and um, you know, from my experience, it's not only me, but most of the artists are are communicating with their fans. They can do so because it's still sort of niche and smaller community. Um, but there's this, there's a discussion, uh, uh, including the artists. There's a, a sense of community um, uh, with the label owners, too. Like, uh, I see Brian engages a lot with people, and he's, like, super open to feedback. Hey, guys, what, what you'd like to have? Uh, what do you want me to produce? Um, uh, what's your feedback on, on your, your last vinyl haul? So I, I definitely have this sense of community. I don't plan uh, to go and, and play live. I don't think that, that this project is, is something that, that should be played live or, or we bring anything, anything new or, or interesting for, uh, for people. But, uh, you know, going to a couple of concerts um, when we could, uh, it was pretty pleasant. I, I had this good, good, good feel of community. What, what's your, your experience there? I definitely feel like the synthwave community is the most connected uh, musical community by far. And it's just like, well, you know, one thing that can prove that is how many people Eric and I get to talk to on our show. Yes, for and sure. how receptive they are to being on the show. So I will have to say that, like, we greatly appreciate that. It is, it's a very close knit community. And uh, it's like all of us are best friends. Yeah. And every time I feel like we have someone new on the show, I feel like we have made a best friend. Yeah. And it's like I already feel like we have made a new friend with you as well, too. And it's just like it. it this particular uh, musical genre is it's. I don't know. It's special. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's interesting, the contrast to 
and I think a lot of people could probably relate to this. It's finding a community of people where you have all the same waypoints in growing up. You know what I mean? You could say a certain movie or a certain genre of music and everyone is, they instantly know what you're talking about. They instantly can relate. And they, for the most part, have the same kinds of feelings. So if you mention John Carpenter, most people are going to have the same kind of reaction, you know, in a general sense versus, you know, you're in your general work life and you say something you like and they look at you weird. And so having all the same cultural uh, touch points or, or waypoints or however you want to de- define it. It it just is so nice to be able to relate to people and have the same kind of you want to use a hippie term wavelength, you know what I mean? Like we're all in the same wavelength. We all get the same. We're vibing, bro. We're vibing. Positive vibes only. (laughs) None of those. No, none of those. Um, Yeah, so I'll say that the the community, the synthwave community in general, I, I found is to be incredibly accepting and very interactive. There are some people in the scene that don't feel that way. And and that's why I ask it, because I'm always surprised when someone says, I hate the scene. It's there, you know, whatever grievance there is, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I really don't No, The majority is, is like this scene is the most engaging, the most accepting, the most friend. It's the friendliest one. I was listening or I was looking at a, a thread on a, the platform and and people were talking about how toxic the synthwave forum has gotten on Facebook and maybe because I don't engage on Facebook I don't use it as a platform really to uh, for anything at all I maybe I'm just not part of that but it's interesting to me that you know there are people that will definitely disagree with that assessment that it is open and engaging but I've, I found it to be the most open engaging with people like I find like that should have no business talking to us, talk to us. So uh, I'm thankful and appreciative and, you know, enjoy it. And again, it's one of those things that I, I personally rely back onto is like that, that point of connection and, and community, I guess this is a, a, a community and it doesn't matter if you're from Hungary or from Canada or from South America or, you know, Australia or whatever it is we all have a common cultural waypoint where we all understand the same things. We've seen the same things. We like the same things. And that's a really neat thing to, to have. Yeah. And you know, it's not just the music. It's so, it seems so easy to talk to one another uh, because it opens up the door to movies, to Mm -hmm. um, um, uh, to a lot of, new art forms uh, uh, and, and to, to discuss like a broader range of topics. Oh, but absolutely. again, it's a community, you know, sometimes um, you might have um, some, some issues with, uh, with a couple of people, but still all in all, I totally have the same feeling as you with, with the community as a whole. And that's, I never had that as a, I kind of like regret a little bit that I'm not a synthwave musician. And honestly, I've thought about dabbling with music again. I just don't know that I'm physically capable of making synthwave. And after hearing like, to me, like what made me quit or even not even try to pursue it is like when I heard Comtrues and then now hearing Stranger, 
both <laughs> ends of the spectrum. I'm like, I give up. They, they've done exactly everything I've wanted to accomplish. The sound that I've wanted to produce, they've done it. So I, there's no room for me. I can't do the things that I would even want to do because it's already done. And, you know, I like this thought. Um, and Maybe, you know, you will find your own sound. Uh, but I really love if people do their own thing. It's not doing, I'm the new Midnight, you know? Uh, yeah. I'm the new FM84. Like, hey, no, they are. Uh, we already have that in the world. Do your yeah. own thing. I want to hear you, not you replicating somebody else. And that's my point, though. The musical ideas that I've been bouncing around in my idea in my brain, the the themes, the sounds I want to explore, it's already been done. And and where do you go when the the thing that you've been ruminating on for years? is out there in the world already. You don't go anywhere. You give up and be depressed. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because that's really like what got me um, into Synthwave is, is Perturbator and Calm Trues, both of those. And when I heard Calm Trues, it was the culmination of everything that I loved about music. Like the things that I've been searching for for so long, like I'd been bored, like nothing I think Kyle can probably attest to this. There is a period of time when there's nothing exciting happening in music. Like there's a period of time when nothing was exciting happening in my life. Well, that's every day though. And then synthwave <laughs> came around and there was something that I could actually be excited or be happy about. And it was this, just this thing, this theme, this idea, something from the eighties, you know, inspired by that. They really did it. Yeah. And, you know, that's a challenge uh, for the future. Um, if you think about 80s music and 80s sound, it definitely has pretty tight guardrails around it. So it's very hard to you know, stay in style, but bring something new to the table. Um, actually, that's my challenge right now. And I definitely hope that people feel Meteor being different to Metro because that was the intention. I didn't want to reduce something like Metro 2 or, or something. I need to have a new sound. And, um, you know, for, for Red Hat that, that's going to be on, on Dream Electric 3, uh, I have horns. I was like, when I sent in the submission to Brian, I was like, oh, he's going to come back at me and kill me with those horns. But somehow for me, it worked, and it pushed the frontiers of, of the style in a way that it brings something new, but it's still synthwave. Here's my opinion, and I get to do it because it's our show. Um, <laughs> All right, we're going to get hit with it. Get hit yes, with it. Sir. What I love about, so the, the thing about Synthwave, if we boil it down, what are we talking about? We're talking about synthesizers. Synthesizers are infinite. The sounds you can create are vast and only limited by your imagination. So if we boil it down to that, there is no limitation to what you can do because you're using a thing with infinite options. So I'm... I'm excited to hear when people break away from maybe some of the cliches of of synthwave music or new wave music if they're taking directly from 
that and break away and just say, well, what can this Juno or Moog or whatever it is, what can it do? What have I not heard out of it before and where can I go? And I think there's there's room for it to evolve beyond just the the constraints of, you know, if you're using pop music as an inspiration or if you're using films as an inspiration, breaking away from that and just going, well, what what does this thing do? It does everything. Exactly. So does Synthwave ever die? <laughs> There's no limit. There is nothing that can confine you at all. So it's infinite. That's Synthwave right. is much like Wu-Tang. <laughs> <laughs> it's forever. It's for the children. It's forever. So true. It's, it's nonstop. So I hope you feel not constrained because I think um, – it's only limited by your own creative ability. Maybe, I don't know. You've got, I mean, I'm excited to hear you as an artist grow. I've heard the progression from Metro to Meteor and the third album. I'm getting intrigued by, I'm getting real excited about. Can I ask about Metro? Yeah. So as a person who, in my opinion, I feel like I'm very in touch with the synthwave scene. I feel like I'm extremely in touch with the synthwave vinyl scene. That's something that I've been very invested in. Uh, When Metro came out, I didn't hear about it until the first press of the vinyl was sold out. Oh. And... Knowing that, I was, like, devastated. I was like, here is this fantastic album that I just found out about. And I have found out that the the vinyl version of it is already sold out. And then, uh, you know, Brian came in and did a repress of it. It's just like, how did... How, I don't know how I did not know about you until then. I feel like I really missed out. There was something there. Um did you, for the first vinyl release, was that something you did on your own? Was it something you did through someone else? How did that happen? Oh, well, no, no, none of this was intentional. Uh, I wanted to do the album for myself just to get it on Bandcamp so it's available and I wanted to do a couple of cassettes and vinyls just to have something physical. And, and that's it. Like it, it was hundred percent for my own entertainment. I just wanted to see the, uh, the cover, uh, nicely printed on a vinyl and then, and that's it. This is all I wanted. Then, um, when I uploaded the thing to Bandcamp and, and the cassettes and vinyls were, were available, I was surprised. Like, hey, people are listening to it and people bought the stuff and we need to ship it out because <laughs> there are people out there, they, they, they really, like, they can pre-listen to it so they know what we'll get and they really want it. So, you know, all this came as a surprise. Like, people really pay for it what so um yeah and we we shipped them out uh uh, that was not a planned you know new artist 
in the synthwave scene coming in and all it was just just me trying to get out something for my own own entertainment and uh, uh then uh, uh, brian reached out uh he wa- he wanted actually uh one copy and i said there's no copy and then i realized hey this is the dude from edr well and then i said like just press it <laughs> and, and you'll yeah, get just make one. it yourself <laughs> yeah make it yourself and and you're gonna have it uh and um yeah this is how it started it's totally unintentional it was amazing i remember that i was like somebody posted in the uh synthwave vinyl collectors group on facebook it was like here's this album holy shit but all the vinyl sold out and it made waves it was a big deal like metro was you were like uh like a darling artist basically it's just like (laughs) here's this person you may not have heard of but this is the biggest person that you're going to hear of (laughs) it was a big deal so i was very I, I went through a roller coaster of emotions because it's like, A, I missed the original pressing, but then it's like, okay, I can get the next one after Brian did it. And I felt a lot better yeah. not being, <laughs> you know, not having to miss it. And it's, it's fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, you have been an artist on my uh, radar, like high up on my radar and that, since I found out about that. And that's been it's a pretty. So great to hear. Uh, universal consensus people that we you know fans that interact uh with us they're lightspear they want to hear from you they like that was you were the number one person you were my number one person of like who do we want to talk to and i was just like well lightspear that's who i want to talk to <laughs> amazing and then you know comes the pressure like can you do a repeat <laughs> no pressure like no pressure you no know, it, it was a one-time album somehow the guy accidentally was able to put together something so for for metro i didn't feel any pressure other than i just want to do it uh but for meteor i had pressure like oh will will this be at the level like people do expect good things from lightspear so it seems so um yeah there there was pressure on me uh, to do something good for meteor let me ask you this where did Lightspear come from? What? Where did? Where's the origin of that name? Oh well, um, that that was more intentional and more like planned. Uh, I started the list with '80s sounding, '80s ish sounding stuff, without n- something that's there without numbers, you know, FM eighty three or something. So 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 no, so, something that's that's sounds. 80s um and i just had a list and um uh lightspear somehow actually i i almost became light disc from the light disc from tron yeah and i don't remember how spear came into that but it it just sounded good and it does sound good it's perfect i will tell you it has that abracadabra ring to it it's one of those things where like you hear it and you're like yeah it's like magic sword it's like you instantly hear it and you're like how did no one take this name beforehand that's the amazing thing i i'm always surprised by with synthwave names you hear you have the cliche 84 85 86 80, yes, everything 80, with the 80s 80, yeah. like okay 
yeah, waves, etc., so on and so forth. But when someone comes out with the name like Lightspear, that's perfect. How like how did no it's one perfect. think of this beforehand? Yeah, it's uh, so good it's job. Luck. There, there was some yeah intentional you know list of names and uh, and at the end it's it's, it's just dumb luck. It you didn't good. use the synthwave name generator on the internet. No, you good job. <laughs> good <No>. job. <laughs> uh, I've played around with that a few times. Actually, when we were so, uh, I think uh, some people know a lot don't. But we had a previous show to this that had a different focus and whatnot on it. And when we when I was playing around with like doing the shift, I was like, what do we call ourselves? What's the, and I was using that eighties name or the synthwave name generator to try and like, you, really you did just, just shame to... on fucking you. <laughs> <laughs> no, hear me out. Hear me out. I, it was almost more of a guide to know, to go with what not to do. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, okay. That's like, like I just wanted to make sure that I didn't use the keywords that came up from that stupid thing. Like, okay, not, don't use those things. Um, some of them were pretty humorous on accident, but um, yeah, it's there. And I just wanted to avoid the, the cliches again, no names, something to get away from synth. I didn't want to, I, you know, you know what I mean? Like you, you want to like get the feeling of the thing, but not be like too on the nose about the thing. Yeah. Like don't use yeah, sunsets and grids yeah. in your artwork. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to do. Dreamboat eighty six wasn't <laughs> it or whatever. <laughs> um, so it, it, the the first two albums is it's interesting uh, to hear you talk about you know what you were going for, and so you've got Metro. You're talking about cityscapes, and then there's Meteor, which you, is more galactic and far away. Is there another progression uh that's larger in scope because you city and then galaxy or you know space kind of stuff do do you bring it back home is there a different can you are you comfortable talking about anything about the third album other than uh than the engineering part uh i wouldn't i wouldn't reveal anything that's completely it's fair. Just you know, smaller in scope, but um, yeah, smaller in scope. Okay, All right. I'm ready for it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm just I I was so absolutely satisfied and happy when Meteor came out. I was like so happy with the package. Like, you know, that also has to do with Brian. Like the stuff that came with it, getting the stickers and just. It was a happy mail day, mail day for me, and I just like recapturing that because we're going to talk about Brian a little bit. Um, I think he consistently delivers excellent albums and complete packages of a thing. I think his how he does his business is much better. I'm really not excited about the pay a premium and wait six months to get an album from other people. From other yes. people. You can infer exactly who I'm talking about from that. <laughs> um, and so I'm really, you know, and I think he's got an, in, we got to watch out for Brian. Like he, you know, if he's into a thing, we got, you know, I think for people that are listening, like he knows the shit, he's got an ear. Um, 
that zeitgeist that zeitgeist of the synthwave scene um and and so i'm always really excited about anything that he's releasing because again it's just so thoughtful about what he does and again i love the different variations of a package that he releases and the thought that he puts into again that the the disc itself for meteor like that champagne iridescent it's clear you don't know you can't tell from pictures until you hold it in your hand that's what i tell how crazy it looks like seriously like i said earlier if you look at it straight on it looks clear you can't tell there's any other color variation in it but if you turn it ever so slightly this gold weight this wavy gold pattern shows up in it it shimmers and if you you follow our social media i will be posting various pictures of it yes just so you know it's it's really incredible it's i i feel like and again i'm one of those people who is in the black vinyl gang like i like black vinyl but this particular colored vinyl is it's out of control you don't know until you see it Mm -hmm. how special it can be and just like the album itself the vinyl release is very special Mm mm-hmm it's 10 out you of know, 10. To wow, quality, and that's high praise. To the quality point uh, that Brian's making with every single record, uh, he he made redo the the, um, the jacket of Meteor. He wasn't satisfied with the quality. And it's a hard jacket to print because you have all these small details, you know, I have uh, these small scratches on it, um, and he he did the reprint of the jacket because he said, "Hey, the jacket's not good enough. We need to redo it." Uh, there's tremendous amount of work from him and all the people around him. Um, uh, we went back and forth uh, with Dynatron. On the mastering and actually on the mastering phase, Dynatron asked me some adjustment in in mixing, even in arrangement. Uh, and you know this care from for some artists' work and the care to get something fantastic and always get something fantastic in customers' hands. This is something that's. I think we all need to appreciate. And mm-hmm. each and every time you know that the EDR release is going to be something that's 100% um, in, in quality, in sound, in how it looks, and how the whole package is coming together. Um, absolutely amazing amount of work that goes into it from his side. Kyle, can you get him on the damn show already? I, you know what? I want to. I've asked, and we will. I, because I'm going to start haunting him myself. We will. <laughs> we'll so get him on. Kyle, Kyle, no, you can define your relationship with Brian. You know him well. Yeah, we're, we're friends. So you're friends. Yeah. This is a dude we've talked about getting on even the previous show and haven't landed quite yet. And he's, it, I don't know if he's being a shy boy or what the deal is, but 
I feel like we've had enough of the people that the like it seems like we're a promotional arm for EDR because we've had so many of his own releases yeah. on the show. So like maybe we just want to build them. He just he's waiting for us to build them up enough to where we can get them on when it's legendary <laughs> status. You know, he's working. He's busy. He, he does not have time for such pleasantries. Uh, he needs to press records. <laughs> like, you must get these done. He's slaving away. Um, yeah, I, I think, and I think it's interesting because it seems like Brian ties into your particular um, appreciation for process, for musical um, excellence, for you know, really producing something of quality which is, it seems like that's very important to you. And it, that seems like a dream come true that another person is like, I see what you're doing. Now let me take it to the next level. See, that was the thing. Like, I remember when I first heard about um, Metro having a vinyl release, it was like, oh, it's sold out. And then I, I if I remember correctly, Brian was like, I got one of the last one last copies available. This album's amazing. Like everyone needs to hear this. And then somehow it turned into him doing a repress of it. I don't know if that's completely a hundred percent accurate, but I I feel like that's kind of maybe how it turned out. How did how did he get in in touch with you about doing a repress? You know, he reached out to me on on Facebook, uh, saying, "Do you have uh, some copies left?" I said, "I don't." And uh, I said, "You can have some new copies if you press it." <laughs> That's fucking awesome. So. There you go. And, you know, I, I didn't know what I am I will get myself into, but it worked out, I think, pretty well. Uh, yeah. Uh, he had definitely has a great year. Uh, you know, all, all the EDR uh, pressings are just great. The music is great. Uh, the extras he's doing with uh, Dream Electric uh is great his own project fantastic mm -hmm. so and you know i i totally can understand him and his <laughs> um chase for quality because you know we're not going to be billionaires uh from 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 this from producing synthwave uh you're not going to be billionaire um uh, pressing these vinyls so what's you're left? not even going to make a living on it, really. You're not. You're not. So what's left? It's it's just quality, right? What you you try to make it work financially, but um, at the end, it's it's the quality that's left and what how people talk about you and what you deliver to them. Brian achieves through his record company what I hope to achieve with the show but he does it so much better. We just want to be universally respected <laughs> and be known for doing good things. Although I'm on the show, so it might not be good things. It might be bad things. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there, there is that, 
I mean, it's that I think the same thing for you when you I think I'm making an assumption here. You release something. You want it to be the highest quality, the best that you can do at that particular time. And and he takes that obviously very personally and and really drives that with his releases. And he keeps I mean, he's obviously having a lot of success because he keeps releasing more stuff. It seems like his releases are ramping up a bit. Um, so obviously he's doing well enough. I'm very curious to know, does a record label break even for him? Does it, is, you know what I mean? Like if you're passionate yeah. about it, do you care? Nah, it doesn't really matter. I, I mean, I spend money on this show and make no money in return. So there you go. It's, it's yeah. there is something to say about doing something you really love. Yep. And him being an artist himself. Mm-hmm. Yep. That too. And, you know, this this is always very delicate because if you're producing music yourself and owning a, a label, uh, you tend to control artistically. Uh, maybe you're you have a more narrow thinking of what how artists should deliver to you uh, uh, albums. But uh, I definitely don't feel any type of control like, hey, I like it. Let's press it. Um, uh, and that's also something that, um, I think is uh, exceptional. That's good. And it's like, you know, I have to say I was so taken aback by Metro. It's like, here's this thing. Have you heard it before when it was presented to everyone else? This is like, if you don't know about this album, you're fucking up. You have to know about this album. And that album, I have to say, like to me, when I found out about it, is very special. I'm, ooh, I'm so into that album. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's it's also a lot of luck that something came together pretty well, um, without trying to be more than it is. Maybe that was one of my concerns with Meteor. Like, uh, oh, space, uh, galactic theme. Uh, maybe we want to be more and be, um, you know, more than it is. Uh, I think with Metro, there's this great balance of, hey, it's just, just, just nice. It's just pleasant. It's, it's genuine. Pleasant is an understatement. Yes. It is an amazing <laughs> album. Um, no, both both Metro and Meteor. Yeah, both. The point being, for those that are listening, listen to them, get them. I, I I think there's copies of both on EDR still for vinyl, maybe. Meteor is sold out. Uh, Metro, you can still get it. Fuck it, people are fucking I, up. Oh, if you haven't gotten, you're get fucking it. it. Get it. Get you're it. Fucking up. Stop it. Um, cool. Do you have anything else? Where else do we want to go? I, again, I'll do the thing that I normally do when we have guests on and say that, like, I'm a huge fan doing Thank my fanboy thing. Indeed. I love the work that you do. Please continue, and I'll continue to buy it. Yep. Thank Indeed. you. Um, I'll be so, on it. Awesome. So, Chris, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, you can pimp yourself or we can pimp you. Uh, well, let's, that's what let's, we've been doing. I, I want to pimp it. Okay. You I'm going to pimp it right now. 
Okay, do it. If you don't have anything by Lightspear right now, you better go out and fucking buy it. I don't care if you buy a digital copy. I don't care if you buy a vinyl copy. I prefer if you buy a vinyl copy if you have the means to do it. Get it. Pay money for this artist. Don't stream it on Spotify. Actually buy something. Lightspear. <laughs> Get it. There's your endorsement. Obviously, That is perfect. Thank you. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> it's, I, it, it is my pleasure to put forth that message. And you are on all social media things, correct? You're on Instagram. Yeah, for sure, that's I, I'm on you. Instagram, Facebook, and um, streaming on Spotify and Bandcamp. And on Bandcamp, you have the high-res files. So if you missed out on vinyls, you can still listen to the yes, full that, experience there. That is one of the things I fucking love about Bandcamp is that you get high-res files when you buy shit. If you are listening to something in MP3 format, you are fucking up. <laughs> get those WAV files, get those FLAC files, get those high-res files, if that is how you prefer your music. Get the highest quality possible. High so five over here. So true. All right. Well, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, it's been really enjoyable. I um, We're... Re- Obviously, uh, Metro and Media are, are fantastic albums. Uh, I think everyone is looking forward to what you do next, but no pressure. No pressure. Do <laughs> do what you do and pretend like no one is listening. I will try. I will try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, this is Eric. And this is Kyle. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks for listening. Fucking paradise, I came.